So moral relativism is the idea is an idea that arises from um, the, the concept of cultural relativism. This is the idea that world philosophy, life policy, rights, rights, and morality are all the product of the folk ways. That is the the outgrowth of, of society getting together and the, and the culture impacting um, uh, our conscience. Then is the product of culture on our minds. So who's to say if male-female marriage, polygamy, infanticide is right or wrong. Uh, moral relativism says whatever is good for you is good for you, and, what, and, and vice versa, whatever is good for me is good for me. The classic line being, there are no absolute truths. Who can tell me what the response is, Andy? Yeah. <laughs> is, is that absolutely true? Right? It's an absolute statement. Is it absolutely true that there are no absolute truths? If so, it's a self-defeating argument, right? Um, so let's contrast that with the current ethical and moral dialogue occurring today. Uh, what's true for you has morphed into something, I think, far more sinister. And, and I think the answer can be found in recent changes in the argument around abortion. Um, shout your abortion is now the tagline of, of the moment, uh, rather than safe, legal, and rare. So it's no longer a necessary evil, right? So the rare part of that indicates that, uh, that abortion is not a moral good. But now, you know, shout your abortion changes abortion into a moral good. So further seen in the recent controversy around a very simple question, what is a woman? Right? Uh, tying these things together, I, I recently saw a post prompting me to use inclusive language around abortion, as not all people with uteruses are women. Right? So this is the age of what, for uh, lack of a better term, I'm calling uh, dogmatic amoralism. this yet, so I don't know if I coined the term or not. Um, so not only is what I believe to be true my truth, right? Uh, when does life begin? Can a biological man be a woman? Uh, but you must believe it too and must affirm me in my truth. So a dogmatic moral amoralist standard is therefore her or himself or as we've seen uh, in the recent uh, pronoun uh, revolution, Z or Zim self, or as I recently encountered, and this is absolutely true and not meant as a joke, is cake gender. So cake gender has now separated the idea that gender is aligned with any sort of biological processes of biology at all, and it's, it's not even connected with sex. Cake gender is just this idea that you are a warm and fluffy person, and that is your gender identity. So when everything is subjective and self-defined and self-derived, we sink quickly and very deeply into the absurd. So is it enough then? Like, now let's contrast that with Christian ethics, with Christian morality and worldview. Is it enough then to base our ethical and moral framework on simply, the Bible tells me so? Yes and no, right? There's a lot the Bible says that may or may not apply to us. Uh, let alone what scripture doesn't speak to, uh, say the ethics of social media, 
or as Ed and I were just discussing, whether or not it's right for me to you know, visit ethically sketchy YouTube sites to watch parts of Dodgers games, right? Um, I'm, I am violating Major League Baseball's rules by doing that, right? Is that ethically moral? So uh, what's the proper age to give a kid a phone? Um, so we're gonna dive in now to the foundation of Christian ethics and philosophy which finds its root in two basic premises. One, that God exists, and two, that he is able to and has revealed himself to his creation. And there are a number of types of that revelation. Nature is one of them. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Romans 1, his eternal power and divine nature are clearly perceived in creation. I always get it wrong. Every time I flip my page around, I go back to the last one. Uh, number two, human conscience. Romans 2.15 says the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences bear, uh, bear witness. Um, number three, scripture. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and, and uh, is useful for teaching and reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. Uh, the person of Jesus Christ is the fourth revelation, the fourth uh, way that God has revealed himself. Uh, John 10 says, I and the Father are one. Hebrews 1 says, now God has spoken to us by his Son. So we can, so we know that, that these are the basic way, the basic premises of Christian ethics. Um, what then is the underlying standard um, of what is ethical, what is moral, what is right, and what is wrong in the Christian world? Anybody here? Take a guess. I don't want to be a guess, really. So that would be the, the character of God, right? So contrasting relativism. Okay, oh, that's not right. So contrasting relativism, which says that there are no absolute truths, dogmatic amoralism, which says I am the ultimate source of truth, and then the character of God that says that whatever the character of God is, is the source of absolute truth and of ethical, ethical <laughs> ethics, morals, and right and wrong. Um, now, yes, Christianity is much more than the application of moral principles and ethical guidelines, but it's not less than those things. Morality, uh, so let's talk a little bit about morality in, in Scripture. Uh, morality in the Old Testament, I think, is summed up pretty well in Micah 6.8. That is, uh, he has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly and to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. So there, there in, within that are these three basic principles of morality in the Old Testament. One, justice. Uh, treat strangers with kindness. Uh, don't steal private property. Uh, mercy. Care for widows and orphans. Don't oppress the poor. Uh, humility before the character of God. Just prior to Micah 6, 8, or Micah 6, 6, and 6, 7, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So 
This is sort of the, a falsely humble public display of atonement. Look at all of this that I have done, and I'm bringing out my thousands of rams to sacrifice before God. Um, the New Testament takes these basic premises, justice, mercy, humility before the character of God, uh, and drills so much deeper, un uh, uncovering just how pervasive sin is in our hearts. Uh, for an exploration of Jesus' interpretation of the law, I would highly suggest that you revisit Keith Turner's uh, series on the um, uh, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, very good. Uh, so Jesus distills the whole law into two statements. He says, uh, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the uh, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So ultimately, making moral decisions then involves discerning God's will. So now that you know that, go in grace and peace. Oh, is it hard to figure out sometimes? Uh, yeah, it is. So let's dive into scripture and talk about what, how do we discern the will of God. So first is scripture. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word is a revelation of the character and thus the revealed will of God. So the question is begged, does the Bible speak specifically to the issue that you're considering? Drunkenness, cheating on your taxes, sex before marriage, there's no dispute regarding these things. Uh, second, prayer. So Philippians 4, 6 is prayer and petition. Bring your requests before God. Romans 8, 27. The Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So third, third was the first two ways, scripture and prayer. And the third way interacts with uh, those other things, but it's a very sticky one. And Tim talked a lot about it last week, and that's the conscience. So the conscience... Uh, so Romans 14, 5 says, be fully convinced in your mind. So the Christian mind, freed from the bondage of sin by the Holy Spirit, is capable in resonance with Scripture and, in, uh, and prayer in assisting us in seeking God's will. However, the primary means of assessment should never be our own conscience. We are in the already in which uh, our conscience is freed from the bondage of sin, but there is still the lingering sin, as we are not yet in the not yet. Herbie Anderson says it well, a troubled conscience is reason to avoid an action, but a clear conscience may not be sufficient justification to proceed. Now, all of these items come to a head in the, in the final topic for today, which is Christian liberty. There are many, many, almost daily or even hourly areas of moral neutrality. That is, where the Bible doesn't speak. Adiaphora, which is Greek for indifference. The Bible just doesn't say anything about it. So as we spoke about earlier, drunkenness, tax evasion, premarital sex are wrong, but what about drinking alcohol at all? Or tax loopholes, or dating in general? These things, even if Scripture is neutral, are still guided by principles we glean from Scripture. So Romans 14, <clears throat> and so Romans 14, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. 
One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him? Who are you to pass judgment uh, on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So abstinence from or participation in a morally neutral activity is not licensed to judge a brother or sister who takes the opposite view. Um, we are to welcome him, but we're not to quarrel over opinions. Uh, this, this can be applied online as well. So if you are in Christian forums online, be gracious. Uh, we'll talk a lot more about that when we start when we get into the ethics of, of social media uh, later um, in the month or in the year. Um, you don't have a right, therefore, to, to force your moral conclusions on others. And you also do not have a right to flaunt your liberty. So, um, let's see, Romans 14.5, every one of us needs to be fully convinced in our own minds. That is, each of us may, must make these decisions in liberty as convinced by the Spirit. So, Christian liberty requires service in relationship to, to others. Uh, welcome and don't judge, right? Um, how are we to know what makes our brother stumble? Yeah, and how do, how do we tell them? But yeah, and, and by, by fellowship, right? By interacting, by knowing our brothers and sisters. That's the way that we can tell what is going to make them stumble. Um, we have a moral obligation to other believers. So we've seen that uh, the basic premises of Christian ethics are that God exists, that he's revealed himself to us, that we have, uh, we have scripture, we have prayer, we have conscience, um, and then we have liberty in those things that the Bible doesn't speak to, uh, and um, we have an obligation then to other believers uh, to be uh, to live lives of service in liberty with them. So, that's all I got. I'd like to open it up uh, to questions. Let's talk about uh, um, how we make it moral and ethical decisions. Oh. Anything we want to talk about in terms of uh, the current state of dogmatic amoralism? social media and how we're supposed to be gracious to one another. You've never been in deep on the pub. Yeah, I actually got kicked out of the pub about two hours after I joined. Um, so the, the Reformed Pub is a Facebook group um, and uh, a friend of mine said, hey, this is a really uh, uh, this is a really interesting group online of Reformed people that you know, have lots of discussions about uh, you know, uh, scripture and about ethics and morals and world today. And I said, oh, that sounds fantastic. He says, okay, I'll send you an invitation to join. And uh, I got the invitation to join and, and looked at some of the posts. And, and a, a friend, of the, my, my same friend, posted a, uh, a comment, you know, a posting in the, in the forum um, and was absolutely eviscerated by these so-called Christians online. 
and I thought it was one of the you know most horrific things I'd ever seen. And so I posted in within the comments and then on the forum generally that you people should be ashamed of yourselves and you should report to your elders tomorrow morning. This was a Saturday and repent for your activity online. And then I was kicked out. <laughs> I was banned from the <laughs> from the forum. Yeah. Yeah, it is a rough group. Absolutely. So I think that two of the like two of the characteristics of this dogmatic amoralism uh, are these things. Um, let's add a third here. Um, so within the echo chamber, then is is this affirmation? So tribalism is number one. You you are with your group, right? And so stemming from tribalism is that echo chamber. I'm only hearing what I want to hear and I'm only hearing things that reinforce what I want to hear. And then thirdly is that, so that reflects then that affirmation that what I'm doing is is correct. Tim. Yeah, it's what you, what you said last uh, regarding, uh, I, I use the categories absolutes, not absolutes, and personal convictions. In other words, there's black and white, there's gray, and then there's, uh, decisions we make about gray areas. Absolutely. And, and so what uh, you often see is two Christians who are both sincerely walking with the Lord, committed, theologically sound, can have different views in their personal convictions. I think the biggest danger comes when I try to impose my personal convictions on everyone else and say, no, uh, you may have come to a different conclusion on what is a gray area. For example, uh, parenting your children, what that looks like, or is there a prescription for it, or how, how tight the line is. But that's what I think confuses some people, because it almost sounds like moral relativism, but it's not. It's just there are areas where the Bible has, thou shalt, thou shalt not, that's clear to most people. And then there are areas where scripture, as you mentioned, does not really do. And then the third area is you developing by your own conscience and your own understanding, personal convictions. But there may be times, and you mentioned this as well, that what limits my freedom is my freedom in Christ is not absolute. My religious liberty is not absolute. Sometimes I'm called upon to restrict my liberty because I love the person, and I don't want them to participate in an activity that condemns their conscience, because for them, that would be sin. Whatever's not of faith is sin. It's, it's in that same Romans chapter that talks about what you call the ideology, things that don't matter. Right? Yeah. And so it's a it's not a simple, straight cut no. uh, thing. And oftentimes, I find people in church wanting the leadership or the pastor to prescribe for everyone 
what their personal convictions should be. And that is not the responsibility of the church. Do you decide that for yourselves? So let's say whether it's a home school or private school or public school, all those kinds of issues, there has to be uh, a lack of judgmentalism about how people make their personal convictions. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, uh, when I first became an elder at uh, my previous church, um, I was pulled into a room uh, by a lady who said that she couldn't vote for me because uh, my family worshiped at the altar at Disney. Uh, because we, when we when we'd go to Disneyland, we'd post on Facebook uh, photos of, of the kids enjoying uh, their time, and that to her was indication that. And you know, I was like, that that seems to me to be like. But what, what, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, you know my, my theological underpinnings or or my my ability to shepherd or my ability to teach. Let's not talk about whether or not uh, Pooh Bear or Mickey Mouse is the better character, right? Um, and. Uh, I think that uh, we've we've seen um, uh, it, it, coming coming through the pandemic. Uh, we've seen, I think, an upsurge in that uh, that that type of thinking. You know, sort of off on the fringes of, of the topic of you know whether or not to mask, whether or not to you know to defy the, the government's orders and, and gather together in person. Um, and I think that there are good discussions that can come out of that, but for you know anyone to say, well, the church should, <laughs> the, the elders should, in this case, based on my own personal conviction, um, I, I think uh, is, is absolutely wrong. And I think that we, we, did, we did see quite a bit of that uh, you know, uh, during, during those debates uh, surrounding the COVID. Anything else? Yeah. Thank you. I just was talking to somebody yesterday, and they said there's a major, um, like, non-denominal church, also on the planet, that now brings in politicians regularly, and um, they have noticed that the flavor of the church is now becoming more, let's agree with this, and if you don't, then you're frowned upon, really. Yeah. And I thought that was really alarming. <laughs> yeah. I think that's so dangerous. Uh, you know, you, whether your direction is right-leaning or left-leaning, um, you know, I have uh, very good friends who are politically very liberal and who are Christians um, and who uh, just approach things uh, from a, uh, a different, you know, uh, a different perspective. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I think most of you know I lean right, um, and uh, but I, we can have it, that discussion so without um, so, sort of uh, you, uh, without clashing really. I mean we can we have a spirited discussion, but at the end of the day we're still friends. But if we were to have you know politicians get up and try to convince you, and I'll, I'll tell you um, you know that is uh, been. Um, flavor of the moment for centuries now. I mean, there have always been politicians who wanted to get up before churches and use the, uh, the power of the pulpit to uh, convince folks to, to vote for them. Uh, and you're right, sir, I think that is, uh, that is wrong. Um, I wonder if you could dive a little deeper into being in the world, but not of being in the world, but not of the world. 
and meeting people where they're at. Because that's really a fine, you know, it's a challenge and a fine line. What, uh, uh, you, you dive a little bit deeper into that. <laughs> I want to hear what you've been doing. Well, being on a college campus um, or interacting a lot with, you know, people on a college campus, um, you know, we run into it all the time with my kids, too. And um, it's just challenging, like, because you, you have to think through each issue and filter it. You know, it gets exhausting after yeah. that. Um, I guess I don't really have a question. I want to open up for discussion and see what other insights people have. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, a whole lot difficult, more difficult for me uh, now in, in my current position being, you know, so many layers of, of leadership above the, the, the mass of the people who are in uh, my, my building uh, than it used to be. I was certainly more uh, outspoken when I was, you know, either an individual contributor or, uh, or just a, you know, a direct supervisor. Um, and so I, I'm actually kind of in, in that space, sort of developing my own ethos right now. Um, and I, I encourage all of you to like do do the same. Like constantly be thinking and developing um, that muscle of, of how does my faith interact with my workplace or or where I'm uh, going to school. Um, I've made the determination that you know I, I'm not going like I'm not going to leave my my faith at the door when I walk in. Uh, to the workplace, how could I separate my identity in Christ from my identity, uh, at, you know, in my call and vocation? Um, so when I do uh, sign um, uh, condolence cards, I absolutely, you know, my your family is in my prayers, and you know, let, let's, you know, I, I, I grieve with you at this time. So and you know, uh, folks who say like uh, my kid is sick, um, I, mean, so I will pray for you, Tim. Isn't it true? that everyone you work with brings their own identity or religious position. You cannot not do that. Absolutely. You have to do that. Yeah. And uh, so when anybody says, I want you to be religious in the workplace, well, let's define religion in terms of what, what your ultimate commitments are, even if it's atheism. You're still bringing that into the workplace that's who you are. And I think you just have to learn to engage with people who are, quote, in the world or of the world. And, and uh, that's their framework. That's how they see, understand, perceive things. Is that often you just have to let a lot of things go and not challenge them on every single thing they say that's out of the court. Uh, I used to, uh, back when I was a young Christian, I used to go on Saturdays door to door sharing the gospel with a campus crusade worker. And so we'd knock on the door and they could graciously invite us in. And so uh, he was training me. And his name was Larry. And Larry would always start with, what's your concept of God? And I just thought, no. <laughs> no. Uh, let's talk more about, you know, uh, you know the gospel. Right. Who's God's Rather than some theology. And I'm sure it had a place in the conversation somewhere. Right. But it just became a lot of people talking about what their opinions were. Mm -hmm. And eventually we got to the place where we have good news, a message we'd like to share with you. Yeah. And, and go through that with you. But it's it's just living in the world. Uh, on the one hand, you don't want to be 
uh, a person who condemns everything. You know, you have to expect unbelieving people to act like unbelievers and think like unbelievers. Yes. And not, and, and love them in that. And you'll hear a lot of heresy. Sometimes you've got to let the heresy fly. Yeah. Uh, no, that's not correct on everything. <laughs> I think that, that that's a, a really important point um, that uh, I think that we should uh, cover is that we cannot hold unbelievers to the standard of believers. God will do that. God will judge them as God sees fit, but it is not our job uh, to judge them. What Jim said reminded me of the following. What I think we're lacking in the world, in the Christian community and in the world both, is uh, in society, we don't have the civility we used to have. Mm -hmm. We have courtesy and rules of etiquette that we're supposed to be taught, that we take out so that we can interact with people of different views and learn from other people, learn what their views are, perhaps administer to them, guide them. But we break down on these rules, society does as a whole, and that's a big part of why we have these problems. And it just doesn't exist on the left, or on the right, or among the atheists or the agnostics. Well, it's among the Christians too. Yeah. We don't have the etiquette that we used to have that enables us to go out in the world. Right. And see, that's and what happens then is, uh, um, what happens then is, you know, when, when words become violence, right? So if, if you are attacking what is my identity, and my identity is self-derived, then your words then become violence against me, and then we can't have etiquette. Because if you are, if you are being violent against me, then my response to you is warranted, whatever that response is. I think you're tapping into something that I've been doing a lot of meditation on and praying about. Uh, I don't know how many weeks ago Tim was preaching a sermon on thinking about what your identity is and your identity in Christ. And when I really started working on this, every offensive word started to roll off because I knew where my identity was. And I took that identity into my workplace and I was able to interact with people. And hearing her question, like, if I'm understanding it, how do you interact with the world? There's a good book called Tactics by Greg Cole. And I have found that doing a question, a Q&A with people really opens doors in a charitable and easy way to gain their trust, build a relationship. Uh, one of them powerful thing you can do is develop a relationship and let that character shine in front of that person and then they'll start asking questions and then you get those interactions. Yeah. It's not easy and it takes some time. Friendships are a process. Yeah. Absolutely. And then Andy and then Ed. This is back toward the tribalism side with the plethora or just the ubiquity of social media and interconnectedness, where it's simple to find our tribe and just stay insulated within that. Is there, will we talk more about this in your social media, is there a solution to that? Is there, 
it rolls down into the Christian liberty and not being a stumbling block. If everybody sees everything that you do, what is the extent of your relationship you need to be responsible to others to, to not drink if it's going to cost somebody to drink or have, have to be a stumbling block to somebody else? Yeah, I mean that's that's the question, right? <laughs> is how how do we how do we function in a world that is uh, so exposed? But it's only exposed in the way that we want it to be. Um, there's a, a great article; it's years old now, um, uh, by a guy who calls himself um, I think it's Wait But Why, um, and uh, he talks about how you know uh, social media, despite being the, uh, this, this great tool for communication, and despite being, you know, sort of like uh, out, outwardly transparent or outwardly exposed, is really just, you know, precisely curated by each of us to show um, either, and, and it shows it either the uh, the best parts of our life or that like veiled, uh, you know, oh, uh, everybody, do, you know, don't don't contact me right now, uh, or you know, I'm fine, just just so everybody knows to kind of elicit. That those responses um, and how that plays with uh, you know um, how that plays with causing other brothers to stumble. Um, I think that you know we we kind of have to um, have to keep in mind that uh, you know if we are curating our social media uh, to just reflect how great we're doing, um, we are probably sort of lifting the depression of others, right? Uh, and that, that may be a stumbling block for brothers and sisters in the church to see, you know, my new car or my, uh, and, and I, I can't say that I'm not guilty of that in the past, but I've, I've come to be a whole lot more um, mindful of the types of things that I, uh, that I would post on social media um, so, so that it doesn't heighten the, uh, you know, the depression in others. And, Oh. <laughs> you know, in terms of um, seeing each individual as created in God's image, I had a social worker that came on with me about two years before I retired, and he was obviously very feminine in his way, and we never got into a discussion about anything. But he worked really hard for me, good social worker, and uh, retired. When I retired, he kept in contact with me, started sending me letters, and I, I responded to him. And I would generally, you know, get the gospel out there. So he sent me a letter explaining that he's moving to Texas and please address the next letter to his now married name because he married his husband. Mm -hmm. And I generally wrote back and explained to him that, that uh, I believe in civil unions but I do not believe in the overfelt decision. Uh, I cared for him and respected you know, him and so forth. And so I, I see that and he sent back and explained why he felt that Adam and Eve, why that was a distortion of my understanding. So hmm. I've committed to this idea of keeping the dialogue going, keeping in mind that this individual, you know, is in God's image. But it's just the lostness of it. It's just it's hard to deal with. Right. To see. But I, I believe it's so important to not close off to say, okay, well you've you have you have said this and therefore this dialogue can no longer continue because it's something that's so different from from my understanding of what Right, Kathy. No, absolutely. I think that um, uh, I think it's it's 
to maintain those personal relationships is, is so important. Um, there, you know, if uh, I'm interacting with somebody who wants me to refer to them by a, by a particular name that may not be their birth name or by a particular set of pronouns, I'm probably going to do it interpersonally and interactively. Uh, but the principle remains the same. I, you know, I don't believe a biological man can be a woman. Okay. I think that there's a lot of um, issues that, <laughs> like tattoos or eating out on Sundays and um, or being um, idolizing working out or things like that. But uh, one of the ones that really convicted me when uh, we were in Sunland and we had our neighborhood party and we invited over our neighbors and they were a same-sex couple kind of going off with um, he was with Eversane, and uh, I had a Christian friend who condemned me and say, how could you bring that into your home? Like, you could be nice to them, you can talk with them, but to bring them into your home with your family where your kids can see that, which you would question our faith and Christianity and that. So at what point then do you build relationships, but then do you, is there a point where you are embracing it too much or that... You're, you're not accepting it, just, you, know, you know what I mean? She, yeah, she, this is, she's our faith a lot, though. <laughs> yeah, and it was over these issues that the, the Bible doesn't speak to. Like, you know, do, do you, I, like, I, we, we are in, we are big believers in loving your neighbors, right? Um, and how do you love, love God and, and love neighbor when you have a same-sex couple? Uh, who are your neighbors? Well, how are you going to love God and love your neighbor when you have an unbelieving next-door neighbor? Right? Your neighbor is your neighbor, and you know what? God put them there. They're providentially living next door to you. Uh, I think it would be shocking to most people to know that Jesus had table fellowship mm -hmm. and uh, what he was accused of uh, with prostitutes and the tax collectors and uh, immoral people. Mm -hmm. And he sat down with them and ate with them. Uh, and so someone that would charge you with that may have a deficient understanding of the gospel mm -hmm. and, and what constitutes sin. Uh, that, that I think once you understand that uh, you can't really categorize sin I mean, some sins are more heinous than others, granted, and have larger consequences. But as a result of that, uh, Christ came for sinners, and if I'm going to say I'm a follower, lover, believer, trusting in Christ, I will have an openness to interact with people who others inside the church may judge me for. Mm -hmm. And you just have to let that roll off your back. And, but pray for them. I would challenge them their understanding of the gospel. Do you really get it? Yeah. You really see it? Or you yeah. wouldn't have said something like that. Mm -hmm. No. Amen. Absolutely. Any last uh, last items? Um, but to you know, just the last thing I'll say then, uh, kind of to, to address uh, you, know, Chris, your your observation about uh, in, in not of the world. Um, I would you know I encourage all of us to um, you know. Uh, Act, act with justice, act with mercy, and act with humility in our uh, our vocations. Um, you know, don't engage in the gossip. Uh, don't engage in um, you know any kind of personal retribution. I mean, there are ways that you can let your coworkers fall down, 
right? Uh, and um, you know, I, I found myself in a position to do that. And I'll, I'll be honest, not all the time have I stopped it from happening. Um, but I believe very strongly now that uh, you know, if I'm to act with that uh, mercy in the workplace, that's going to help a person that I may not like not to fall down. Um, and uh, I think that's something that we, we need to interact with and, uh, and talk about. So uh, thank you. Let's, uh, let's close the prayer. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for this time uh, that we've had the fellowship together uh, draw us closer uh, to each other and closer to you as we work our way through uh, these ethical and, and moral uh, quandaries. Help us to um, look to scripture, uh, look in prayer, and have those things resonate in our conscience. Uh, so that we um, are uh, seeking after your face and your character. In Jesus' name, amen.